Greetings and welcome to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship and the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie. Today's topic is similar teachings in Christianity and Hinduism. Please welcome Reverend George Wolfe. Hello and welcome to Converging Streams. Ever since about 300 AD, the Orthodox Christian position has been that Christianity grew out of Judaism. The Church has insisted on this position, despite the fact that theologians have uncovered influences from Greek Gnosticism and other mystical traditions prevalent in the Mediterranean area during Jesus' time. Today we are going to examine some striking parallels between Christianity and Hinduism. Now most people don't think of Christianity as being related at all to Hinduism. But during my two trips to India in the 1990s, I became aware of many themes and symbols Hinduism shares with Christianity. There is a series of scriptures in India called the Upanishads, which deal primarily with the experience of spiritual enlightenment. One of the earliest texts from this series, the Kata Upanishad, which dates about 600 years before Jesus lived, contains a story which includes many of the important themes and events recorded in the Gospels. It tells of a boy named Nachiketa, whose father had given him over to death. The son comes to accept his destiny when he says, Like corn, a man ripens and falls to the ground. Like corn, he springs up again in his season. Nachiketa subsequently spends three nights in the house of the king of death, and afterwards receives three boons or wishes, the third of which is the secret of immortality. Now in the Christian Gospels, Jesus, who is given over to die, similarly recognizes his destiny when he says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John 12:24. He then spends three days in the tomb, which is like the house of death, after which he overcomes death and is raised to eternal life. As I mentioned earlier, for his third wish or boon, Nachiketa requested the secret of immortality. This portion of the story is reminiscent of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Before imparting this teaching, the king of death tempts him with power and riches, hoping to convince Nachiketa to choose a different wish. Choose for thyself a mighty kingdom. Ask for that, not for sweet pleasures only, but for the power, beyond all thought, to taste their sweetness. He also promises him celestial maidens beautiful to behold. But Nachiketa, like Jesus, holds fast, resists temptation, proving himself worthy of receiving the secret of immortality. In addition to the story of Nachiketa spending three days in the house of the king of death and gaining the secret of immortality, and its similarity with the story of Jesus in the Gospels, spending three days in the tomb and resurrecting. There are many other parallels found between the Upanishads and the teachings of Jesus in the Christian Gospels. We are now going to hear a musical composition which provides a musical setting for the narration of highly similar teachings found in Hinduism and Christianity. This composition is entitled Lifting the Veil and is by Ball State University composer Jody Nagel. I had the privilege of premiering this work 
at the San Francisco Theological Seminary on February 11, 1995, and I have performed the work over 30 times throughout the world. We're going to be listening to a short excerpt from the second movement of this composition called The Kingdom Within. Two narrators in this composition read selected texts. The first narrator in this excerpt is reading text from a Hindu scripture known as the Bhagavad Gita. And the second narrator is reading text from the Christian writings. The first narrator reading the Hindu text is Keith Shear. The second narrator is Reverend Mary Maddox. There is one term in the narration which you may not be familiar with, and that word is Krishna. Krishna is one of the leading Hindu incarnations of the divine. Now here is an excerpt from the second movement of Jody Nagel's Lifting the Veil. Krishna said, I destroy the darkness born of ignorance with a shining light of wisdom. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Krishna said, I am the origin of the whole world and also its dissolution. I am the beginning, the middle, and the end of all things. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You've been listening to an excerpt from the second movement of the composition Lifting the Veil by Ball State University composer Jody Nagel. The first pair of verses that were narrated use the common symbols of darkness and light, equating darkness with ignorance and light with wisdom. The second pair of verses identify Krishna and Jesus respectively as the beginning and end of creation. In Hinduism, this is central to the concept of avatar, which is the term used for a divine incarnation, that wisdom which existed in the beginning of creation, from which creation arises, and to which it returns in the end. Thus, in the Christian scriptures, Christ is being described in terms comparable to an avatar in Hinduism. Now, in Hinduism, Lord Krishna is a leading incarnation, or avatar. His teachings are contained primarily in the Bhagavad Gita. While there are many differences between the life of Krishna and that of Jesus, there are many more striking similarities. 
The Gospel of John, for example, states that Christ was in the beginning with God and that all things were made through him. John 1, 1 through 3. Likewise, though, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is described also as the source of all beings, the Lord of all creatures, God of gods, the Lord of the world. In chapter 10, verse 8 of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, I am the source of all, from me all arises. And in chapter 7, verse 7, he says, All this universe is strung on me like jewels on a string. The Apostle Paul also states that Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1.17 In addition, in Ephesians 1.10, we are told that God has a plan to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In a similar way, the Bhagavad Gita portrays Krishna as that in which all things are united. When Krishna says in chapter 10, verse 7, Behold today the whole world of moving and unmoving things united in my body. Now Christianity teaches that through Christ, people are set free from sin and no longer a slave to sin. As found in Romans chapter 6, 20-23 and the Gospel of John chapter 8, 32-36. Likewise, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, He who knows me is undiluted and is freed from all sins. Now many people aren't aware of the fact that there is a concept of sin in Hinduism that is somewhat similar to Christianity. One of the more significant verses in the Bhagavad Gita which deals with this concept is found in chapter 3, verses 36 and 37, when Krishna is asked, What is it that impels a man to commit sin, even involuntarily, as if driven by force? And Krishna answers, It is desire, it is anger, all-consuming and most evil. Know this to be the enemy here on earth. Now, most Christians are not aware of a connection between desire and sin. However, in the letter of the Apostle James, verses 1, 14, and 15, there is a clear connection being made when it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Thus, Krishna's teaching in the Bhagavad Gita and this verse in the book of James are in agreement of the relationship between desire and how it can give rise to life-damaging action. One can also look at the Ten Commandments and see that the violation of many of them can be rooted in desire. To covet, for example, means to desire something that is not yours. And when a person bears false witness, they usually do so out of a desire to cover up something. Many of you who are listening, I'm sure, are aware of the story in the Gospels of Christ feeding the multitude of 5,000 people. Well, there is a comparable story again in Hinduism, in the great Indian epic, the Mahabharata, where Krishna dispels the hunger of the sage Durvasa and his 10,000 disciples. Now, how is it that there could be so many similarities between the teachings of the incarnate figures in Hinduism and Christianity, of Krishna and Jesus. 
I'm going to suggest to you two possible answers. First, there are some who believe that Jesus actually went to India during those many years of his life that are unaccounted for in the Gospels. There are those that believe he traveled to India and studied. Well, those who embrace that idea may see these parallel teachings as adding evidence to support their notion that Jesus did travel to India. I remind you, however, that about 350 years before Jesus lived, Alexander the Great conquered the entire Middle East from Greece all the way over to the Indus Valley in India. And it is known that he brought back with him Hindu sages and Buddhist teachers. Thus, during the time of Alexander the Great, it would have been possible for these teachings to have been brought westward into the Middle East, and thus Jesus would not have had to travel to India in order to have been exposed to them. But the second reason I'd like to suggest to you is that Christianity was originally intended to be a teaching that united East and West. These parallel teachings regarding Christ and Krishna suggest that Christian writers may have taken the avatar concept in Hinduism and integrated it with the Messiah concept in Judaism. Thus, I propose to you that rather than being a religion that excludes Eastern teachings, Christianity was originally a teaching meant to be a unifying force in the world, intended to have a message that is far more universal and culturally embracing than anyone previously has dreamed. Thank you for listening to Converging Streams, Interfaith Fellowship in Our Modern World. Our program is a production of the Muncie Interfaith Fellowship with content and financial support from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Muncie and technical support from radio stations WCRD and Work FM. Most importantly, we thank you, our listeners and followers, for your support. To connect with Converging Streams, including listening to our entire catalog of past programs, getting our latest new content, and making your own contribution to this program, visit our website, convergingstreams.org. Converging Streams is produced by Tony Piazza, George Wolf, and Thomas Perchlick. Thank you for listening and have a pleasant week. <laughs>